Thank you once again for this day. Thank you that we could set aside time to just really reflect and uh, be in your word and worship you, give to you, all that, God. And I pray, God, as we look in your word now and we, we talk about a weighty subject, God, that you would give us wisdom as we listen to your spirit. The words that I say would be your words, God, as you teach us and guide us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, for a few months, we've been looking in the book of Acts. We've been looking at the early church and how uh, not only through persecution, but be through uh, their healthy fear of the Lord and their reliance on the, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, that they've really become devotedly, they've wholehearted, devoted followers of Jesus. We've seen how that God has just really molded them into that wholehearted servanthood. And, and really, I love, I told you before that my wife has that word wholehearted written on a little chalkboard in our house. The word changes every year. And now it's wholehearted. I really love that word wholehearted because it, it means com being completely and utterly determined, committed, and devoted to something or someone wholehearted. And we know, here's the thing, we know that being wholeheartedly committed or devoted to something, whether it's a, a goal or a project or to a person or a relationship, is essential in realizing the outcome that we want, right? We have a desired outcome. Unless we're wholeheartedly committed to that, we're probably not going to see that. And the, the truth is nothing short of, nothing short of wholehearted devotion of Jesus that will really enable you and I to experience the Christian life like we're meant to. I think it's so easy for us to say, I'm just going to give this a little bit, or I'm going to give this some of my time or my effort. And the reality is we can choose to do that if we want, but we're not going to experience the life that Christ wants us to have, the joy that comes with being a follower of Jesus. Look at what Jesus even once said. There was a crowd that was following him around. And I just get this picture of all these people crowding around. And I just kind of get this picture of Jesus turning around. And look what he says in Luke 14. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoa. I, we've been in church. We've heard that. But that is some extreme language, isn't it? Very extreme language. First, he's saying, I'm calling you to something that really is going to look like hatred of your wife, of your kids, of your parents, and everything in comparison. I mean, just, just sit for a second with that. In comparison, it's going to look like hatred. That's how much. I mean, I can't even, I still, I, I've been studying this. I still can't wrap my head around that whole concept. And second, he's saying, I'm calling you to not only be willing to endure pain and shame and persecution and suffering for my sake, but it's a willingness to die to your desires, to your dreams, your goals, your ambitions in order to put me first. <laughs> this is huge, isn't it? That's what wholehearted means. That's what it means to be wholehearted. And what this means is what he's saying in this verse is that when we lay down control of our lives in the pursuit of, our, of, his, of his desires and his interests, that's when we're willing to pay the price. That's when we will experience the real meaning of the abundant life. This way, really, it's, it comes down to this. It's when we're willing to say, here's my life, Lord. 
Just like we sang, here's my life. Take, all, take it all, all this, that song we just sang. And, and we're, we're willing to say, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll give what you want me to give. I'll suffer what you want me to suffer. Then you will find true life in this life and the life to come. That's what he is saying. If you want to follow along in your notes, number one on your notes, the first one is, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to claim the title of a, of a Christian, to claim the title of a Christian, to say, I am a Christian. What it requires is a wholehearted giving of ourselves to him and his will and purposes. So conversely, I guess that's probably saying if you're not going to wholeheartedly give of yourself to my will and your purposes, you better think twice about calling yourself a Christian. That's what I'm getting out of this. You better think twice about claiming that label, a follower of Jesus. You're not willing to say, take it all. It's all yours. The question then is, what does that practically look like? What does it look? It's one thing to say that, but what does that practically look like? Well, in many ways, we've been looking at that already in the, as we've been going through the uh, book of Acts. We've been seeing what that looks like. But this morning, I want to take a brief break from the book of Acts, uh, really to, in order to address an area of our lives that really is crucial for being a wholehearted follower of Jesus, one that really goes to the very core of our willingness to, to die, for, die to ourselves, our, our willingness to trust God to meet our needs and, and to let Jesus truly reign and rule in our lives so that we can really ultimately experience the joy that comes from doing all that. This issue that we're going to talk about this morning is really in my mind, and in many, and I think in the, go, in the, the Gospels talk about this, and the, and the Bible talks about this, really is a litmus test for discerning whether we are truly, wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus or not. This morning, we're going to talk about money. No, <laughs> okay. We're going to pass the plates multiple, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> not, at, not at all. Specifically, we're going to talk about how we steward the money or resources that God has given us. The truth is that many, it really is true that many Christians are confused as to what the Bible actually says concerning biblical principles for how they are to handle their finances. Specifically, and as we're going to look at this morning, specifically about the biblical principles for financial giving. Okay. Now, here's what say you've heard this before and different things. Jesus talked a lot about money, a lot. He discussed the topic of money more often than he spoke about faith and prayer combined, okay? 11 of his 40 parables were about money or used money as a way to teach us spiritual truths. Number two on your, just so you get this in your head, number two on your notes, so throughout the gospel, Jesus uses money as a tool to reveal our true priorities. Okay? So what does that look like? What does it look like to be wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus in the area of biblical financial giving? Well, I thought, let's start, I thought it'd be a good place to start with why. Why? Why 
Why should we do that? What does the Bible have to say about why we are to give of our resources, specifically our finances, to the Lord? Well, one reason comes from something Jesus said during the Sermon on the Mount. In, in Matthew 6, we looked at this about a, a couple months ago when we were back in Matthew. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So one of the reasons the Bible, number three on your notes, number one of the reasons the Bible gives for why we are to give is because financial giving is ultimately a heart issue. Okay, it's ultimately a heart issue. In the Bible, you know, the heart, whenever they says, you know, when I, I sing from my heart or the, all they talking about the heart, when the Bible talks about the heart, the, the, it's talking about the core of our being, of who we, who we really, really are, okay? And where our, it's kind of like the seat of our emotions or where our desires truly dwell. That's what the heart is in the Bible. And Jesus' point here in saying in these verses is that if we truly believe that what is most important are the things that are eternal, if we really believe that things of God are most important, we won't invest all of our finances into things that will simply fade away or simply perish. Instead, our heart's desire, we're gonna, it's going to flow out of our heart to want to invest in things that will resonate throughout eternity. Don't, some of you, I know you have that desire. You want to use your gifts, your talents, your treasure, all of that to just resonate throughout eternity. So often we think that our impact is all about right here and right now, just now even when it comes to giving of our money. But the reality is the things we do, the way we live our life, the faith that we have can actually resonate throughout eternity. Isn't that an amazing thought? I mean, you could be the most famous person on the earth. You could do contribute amazing things, get all these awards in the, on earth, and just be seen as the most amazing person in the world. I mean, I think about this last this passing, uh, how, how the world, the entire world, has been impacted by the death of Kobe Bryant. Think about that. The man contributed an amazing, amazing things to our world, didn't he? To sports, and then later on to, uh, to what he started, you know, the big thing coming out now is a family and all that. Obviously, we saw that Kobe had his flaws as well. But for all the things that Kobe Bryant did, obviously, my hope and my prayer is that he had a relationship with Jesus before he died that he truly desired for God to reign, Jesus to reign and rule in his life. I don't know. I don't know. Because you know what? Heaven will not have Kobe's jersey hanging. It won't. Heaven doesn't care about Kobe's jersey. Heaven cares about Kobe's soul. So all that effort, I'm not, what he did was wonderful. And we strive for these things, but that's not going to be remembered. That's not going to echo throughout eternity. You know, remember Braveheart? What we do on earth echoes in eternity. Well, if it's, if it's, if it's, for, if it's for God's purposes and his will and, and, and things that glorify him, yes. But nothing else will. It'll just burn up. It'll be absolutely gone. See, here's the thing. Many of us struggle 
with this whole area, though. We struggle, in the real, with, and we have really battle and to align ourselves with knowing how to do God's will. And really, where this battle so often happens, where it plays itself out, really is in the realm of our finances. You know, we've all heard that what's the number one thing that couples fight over? Finances. But really, when it comes to knowing God's will, this is a realm where we battle the most. You know, I've heard this said before, and you've probably heard it before. In reality, if you want to know the truth about what's important to someone, look where? Look at their bank statement. Look at their checkbook. That is going to show you what is important to them. And I got to tell you, this is one of the areas in my life that I felt like has been, believe it or not, the hardest and the most I've agonized over with my own children. Because I know, and not that they're doing a bad job anyway, but just as far as just really wanting to, as, as I, whenever I see their financial situation, I want to, I, for some reason, I kind of, <gasps> Papa Bear comes, because I know that it, it, it's a reflection of what's going on in their heart. What is really happening in their giving of themselves to God? Martin Luther, I love what he said. Martin Luther said, there are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. I love that. Is that up there? No. Are we stuck? Maybe. Maybe we are. <laughs> but that's what Martin Luther said. He said, so it's interesting that, that, so, that, that really even Martin Luther recognized that that was a powerful, I might not have put that in there. It's not, probably my fault, right? Yeah. Phil, off the hook, buddy. Off the hook. You're amazing. Number four on your notes. Another reason the Bible gives us for why we are to give is because our, our confidence, because of our confidence in the goodness of God and the desire to serve his purposes and advance his kingdom. Okay? There's a lot wrapped up in there, I know. Because we're, our confidence in God's goodness and our desire to serve his purposes and advance his kingdom. Remember, and encouraging them to excel in, in giving towards the work of the gospel. The Apostle Paul says this to the church in Corinth. He says, I say this not as a command, okay? I'm not telling you to give. I'm not commanding you to give, but to prove my earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Here's what's going to prove your love is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases verse 9. Look at what he says. He says, you are familiar with the generosity of our master, Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. That's amazing. See, we give because of the goodness of the unmerited and undeserved grace shown to us by Jesus, by everything that he has sacrificed for us. I mean, think about how rich Jesus was. He went from being so rich in ultimate power, ruling the universe, doing all that stuff, whatever that looks like, rich in being loved. Remember, in heaven, um, he came from having angels basically every day bowing before him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That's what he was, that was his day, okay? Ruling the universe and, and being worshiped. 
by millions of angels, okay? He went from that to not only taking on human form, which I can't, couldn't even fathom that, but listen to what was prophesied about him by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 53 says this, he was despised and rejected by men. Remember what we just talked about what he came from? A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Wow. See see the, the difference? Oh my goodness. Pastor Ray Stedman says this, he went the entire limit. He was obedient unto death, even the death on a cross. Not that, now that is given. Now that is given. That it was Paul, is, that is what Paul is talking about. No reserves, no half measures, no conditions, no holding back, pouring out everything that he had. That is the great pattern of giving. So when we give, how do I give? How should I give? We're going to talk about that in a minute. Stick that in your head. How did Jesus give? How did Jesus give? We could never give how he gave. That is wholehearted devotion. Devotion that is willing to give up everything, everything in order to bring about the kingdom of heaven. Remember, that was, the, that was part of that point, in order to see God's work being done. He was ordered to get willing to give up everything in order to see the kingdom of heaven come to earth. He knew, if I don't do this, the kingdom of heaven does not come to earth. And all these people get to experience it. So he was, doing, he was willing to do that in order to make us rich. Do you, do you realize how rich we are? I'm not talking about just, we all know we live in a, this country that we're probably the richest people on the planet. But do you realize how rich we are because of what Jesus did? How well off we are as followers of Jesus. Romans 5.8 says this, God shows his love for us that while... While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, when we were opposed to him, God says, I'm going to give. I'm going to give to those who are in rebellion against me. I'm going to give to those who hate me. I'm going to give to those who despise my ways. Oh, man, that is incredible. What a great reason to give. A great reason. You know what? Here's, here's a, think about this. You can give. A great reason to give is be, to be, now don't get me wrong here, is to be like God the Father. We get to, when we give, we're being like him. The, we're giving, when we give in the ways we've been talking about here, we get to mirror our Father. That's an exciting thing. So how, let's look at how now. Let's look at some of the specifics. How, according to the Bible, are we to financially give? Now, I know this is all stuff that so many of you have been in church a long time. So what I would encourage you to do during all this is you're going, oh, yeah, okay, I've heard all this, Rob. I've heard the money talk, you know, all that stuff. I just want to encourage you, though. I think oftentimes, even when we approach our Bibles, we go, I've read this before. I've seen this before. I have my opinions. They're set. Or the way I do things are done, because that's how far along I am as a follower of Jesus, right? When remember, God's word is active. It's alive. It cuts, it says, between the marrow and the bone. That doesn't mean it doesn't just do it once. It does surgery on us, constantly does surgery on us. 
And you and I know that. How many of you have thought a passage? I've known that passage all my life. You read that passage at a certain time, you're going through something, and boom, hits you in a way it never did before. That's what I want to encourage you with this whole idea of finances and stuff, especially those of you that have grown up in the church and think this is the way we give this way. I just want to encourage you to open your mind to what the Spirit might have for you, okay? That's all, okay? So, speaking about giving to the work of the gospel, again, here's what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He said this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Number five on your notes, one way the Bible tells us that we are to give financially is cheerfully cheerfully, not under compulsion or obligation. That's some, for some, I mean, we need to hear that last word under, uh, by obligation. Paul is saying that giving to the work of the gospel is to, is to be done with a, a, a good nature, a gracious heart, a gracious attitude. It's, it's without judging, oh, okay, I got to give again. I know I'm supposed to give. I'm going to give again. No. And not because, oh, I, I know I should. As a Christian, I should give. That's not what he's saying. He says, because we, we give, because it gives us tremendous joy to give, especially when nobody knows that we're doing it. And it just gives us great joy. Again, we have an example in Jesus. Remember, the writer of Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews 12. He says, run with endurance the race that is in set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and protector of our faith. I love this. Who for the joy for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand in the throne of God. I think we get that wrong when we think joy means happy, dappy, dappy, right? Or as what Duck Dynasty, happy, happy, happy. We think that's what that means. Do you think Jesus was happy when he went to the cross? No, it says, remember, he sweat blood, tears of blood saying, God, if there's another way, please, if there's another way, I'd love to do that, but I will do whatever you want. There was no happy-dappy, but he had a deep joy within him because of the obedience that he was, he was being able to give the ultimate, and that brought him joy. Wow. That is amazing. Just amazing. Jesus is our example of cheerful, gracious giving. Now, did you notice, look at, in, back in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians, each person, it says, he is to give what he has decided in his heart. There's that word again, heart. Say, once again, we're seeing that biblical financial giving is a matter of the heart. For example, here's, here's just an example. You might say, hey, if you love the Lord, I love the Lord more than anything. I love the Lord more than eating out. I love the Lord more than this hobby of mine. Definitely, no, no doubt about it yet whatsoever. Yet we spend a lot of money on eating out and we spend a lot of money on our hobby and don't give as we know we should to the Lord's work. When we're doing that, what we're doing is the way that we spend our money is showing the intent of our heart more than our words are. Does that make sense? Nothing wrong with going out to eat, of course. We door dashed last night, my wife and I. 
The Morrisons are, Morrisons are out of town. They said, use our house, use our jacuzzi. And we're like, we need to. We got a house full of people. And so we did. We door dashed and we had a meal. That was great. And, it was, and that was fine. That was, uh, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But if that's what we're doing constantly, I'm going to feel like I'm entitled to go to Starbucks every day. or I'm, I'm entitled to my $5 something latte every day. But don't ask. But you know what? Giving is really tough. It's real, things are really tight. What is it saying about our heart? So another way the Bible tells us to give, though, is regularly. Number six is to give regularly. Listen to what the Apostle Paul again tells the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians. He says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. Here's what I want you to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collection when I come. What we see here is Paul is telling them to set aside something on the first day of every week, which for them was on Sunday. It happened to be on Sunday for them. And what it was is something they were set aside, what they had determined in their heart to give out of what they had, Okay. Proverbs 3, 9 tells us this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with whatever else you got left over. No, with the first fruits of all your produce. What this is saying is we, we give to the Lord and to his work, not after we have spent enough on ourselves, but before we've spent on ourselves. I mean, what this, when we do that, what we're doing, it's an invisible act of worship that demonstrate the intent, demonstrates the intent of our heart. You see, giving the first of what we have to God in his, and his work is a tangible way of expressing that I trust in him to meet my needs. And so of saying, let me go down the budget, let me go down everything, okay, can I tithe, or can I give, or can I give an offering, can I give to that ministry these days, th- this week? You know, he's saying, flip that over. Take that joy, take that cheerful giving, and just g- what God has put on your heart, give it. Then think through. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Well, this is God's pattern for how to give. One ministry website I read says this. It says, if we take the first and best for ourselves and leave to God only what is left over, we are at least implying, if not outright declaring, that we are not sure whether the Lord can meet our needs. If we give to the Lord before we give to ourselves, we are put in a position where we must trust God to make up for whatever we have surrendered to him. I love that. That's the mindset. That's the mindset that he is looking at here. You know, the interesting though, that, that verse that we talked about just a minute ago, where honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits. <laughs> Many of you, I didn't realize this, but just four verses, the four little verses above that is the, fam- the proverb, the writer of the Proverbs famously writes, trust in the Lord with all your heart. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's a trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Just, it's in the same vein. He's talking in the exact same vein here. The truth, number seven on your notes, the truth is that giving is ultimately an expression of our trust in God. Remember how we talked about, remember back, way back when we talked about Sabbath? Remember, 
Taking a day of Sabbath was all about trusting that God would take care of what we don't think can get taken care of. It's trust issue of how we can trust him. And one way we're told to practically give, I'll give you some practical one here. In Galatians chapter 6, it says, let the, one who is, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Okay? And then 1 Timothy on top of that says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out grain, and the laborer deserves his hire. Now, this isn't saying that you need to give exclusively and only to the local church. That's not what it's saying here. Not at all. But what this means is that we need to consider giving first to the local church. I love what J.D. Greer, our men, you know who J.D. Greer is. We, in our Bible study, we looked, he was our teacher for a while. He says, the local church is God's plan A. It's the vehicle through which we care for the poor, feed the hungry, equip people to minister in the community, and send people out to the nations. When we give to the local church, we give to the mission of God. Okay? And we can go off on a long thing about, well, I don't know. I got these other things. I'd rather not give my church. Oh, I listen online to this guy. I'd rather give more online to this guy. And once again, remember, it's what your heart, what God is saying in your heart to give. Number eight, another way the Bible tells us we are to give is generously and sacrificially. Generously and sacrificially. Again, in speaking about giving generously, Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, for you know... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, so that your poverty might be rich. See, what we already have, we've already talked about. We see Jesus provides us with the template for generous and sacrificial giving. He gave. He became poor. He became poor in order to give so much for our sake. The truth is that giving is really actually rooted in God's character. It's who God is. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. Not everybody health, wealth, and prosperity. He gave sacrificially and generously of his own son. It hurt to give. It was painful to give, but it was joyous at the same time to give. And here's a really cool thing. Wasn't, wasn't sure I wanted to put this in here, but I thought it was kind of fun, though, in my study this week. The good, cool thing is that since we're created in God's image, the desire to give generously and sacrificially is really rooted in our very being. It really is. It's rooted in our very being. So it makes sense that when you give, it makes you feel happy. Did you know that scientifically, it's it's scientifically proven that giving makes you happy. Studies reveal that people's sense of happiness is greater when they spend relatively more on others than on themselves. And this is a secular view, okay? Put the spiritual realm on top of that. (laughs) It changes everything. Many studies have shown that generous people tend to be healthier people, 
Those that give money and time is linked to many positive benefits, lower blood pressure, reduced stress, increased life expectancy, lower risk of dementia, thank you, less anxiety and depression, and reduced heart disease. Maybe, just maybe, the Apostle Paul was onto something in Acts when he said, it is more blessed to give than receive. I think he was talking a lot about more than this to what I'm talking about here. But think about how practical it is, too. It's the way we were designed. So here's the question. Here's the question here. What should cheerful, regular, generous, and sacrificial giving practically look like in the, in the life of a follower of Jesus? What should it look like? Okay? Are we expected to give up everything and, and live like paupers or say, wait, he gave up everything? He paid, paid poor? Am I, supposed to be, am I supposed to become poor? Am I supposed to become a pauper? Am I supposed to sell everything and live on the streets? Of course not. That's not what he's saying at all. But God does ask us to give in such a way that it costs us something. If you get anything out of this, that God is asking us to give in a way that costs us something. A little story. Dr. Roy Laren tells in his book about a Christian businessman who had gone out to Korea to go for a visit in Korea. And he was traveling around. He had a guide with him. And he noticed one day that there was a field beside the road. And in this field, he saw a boy that was probably about 18 or 19 years old. And he was pulling this plow to plow the field. And holding the handles of this plow was an older man, uh, evidently his father. So this guy, he took, he took a, a picture of this and said to his guide, what, that is a strange thing. What is going on out there? I suppose that they, these guys must be so poor that they have to pull and push the plow themselves. And the man, the, the, the guide says, yes, they are poor. And you know what? I actually know the story behind this. A number of month, months ago, when the church to which these people um, attend, they were building a new building, and all the members were asked to contribute something to this building fund. Well, the father and the boy wanted to give. They so desperately wanted to give um, to this building fund, but they felt that they had nothing. We don't have anything. We have nothing to give until it dawned upon them. <laughs> we can give our only ox. We can give our ox. So they killed the ox, cut it up, sold the meat in the market, and gave all the proceeds to the building fund of the church. Can you imagine? That just sounds crazy, huh? The, this spring, he told them, this spring they had to pull the plow themselves. The businessman said, that must have been the most remarkable sacrifice. That, that had to be an incredible sacrifice for them. And the guide said, they didn't think so. They didn't think it was that way. They thought that they were rather fortunate to have an ox to give. So this man, I guess, comes back to his pastor in this country. He took the picture to him and tells him the story about, said to his pastor, Pastor, I want to double my giving to this church this year. I've never given anything that cost me something. And I love this line. I want to do some plow work for the Lord Jesus. I want to do some plow work for the Lord Jesus. So what does that look like in our lives? What does doing plow work practically look like for you and for me? Well, obviously, 
No one can tell you. I can't. No one can tell you how much and where and any, how you should give. That's not, our, that's not my role. Remember, our giving is a matter of the what? Heart. It's a matter of the heart. I love, I love how Eugene Peterson, once again, paraphrases uh, verse 7 in chapter, in the chapter 9 of Corinthians. He says, I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect, that will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loveth when the giver delights in giving. I love that. Obviously, we're not, here's the thing I get out of this, we're not going to be able to discern properly what we should be giving or what our, if, we're, if our heart is not in tune with Jesus, right? You could go all the way here, since Rob told me what I should do, I, we, re, we hired a sermon, what should I give? My heart is telling me I should give this. Well, if our heart isn't in tune with Jesus, how can we possibly know? How can we possibly know? So if you truly want to give and you want to give in the way that is biblical, the first step is to make your relationship with Jesus a priority. That's the best way to learn how to give. Make your relationship with Jesus a priority. Now, if you're looking for some sort of helpful guide to give, for, to give you, that we do have something. Many Christians use the basic pattern for giving that's found in the Old Testament, which was the tithe. Okay, tithe means a tenth part, okay, a tenth part. Tithing was, was really a very, very important aspect of the Mosaic law. Here's the thing, though. What many people will do is they will say, wait a second, their argument will be that since we're no longer under the Mosaic law, but we are under grace, wait, we're not under that, right? We're under grace. Tithing must not, no longer be important, right? We don't have to tithe anymore. Yet here's what, here's what I would argue against that. And it comes back once again to something we, we preached about a while back. It's like keeping the, keeping the Sabbath. Really, although we are free from the legalistic view of, of keeping the Sabbath, we're still meant to adhere to the original purpose of the Sabbath, to rest from our work, to remember God's saving grace, to replenish our souls, to rejuvenate our bodies, renew our minds and our souls, and do what God himself did, took a day off. We're still supposed to do that, but not in this legalistic way. So it is with tithing. It's the same thing with although we're no longer required under the law to tithe. We aren't. We're still meant to adhere to the original principles of tithing. To give generously and to give sacrificially because our hearts are full of thankfulness to God for his goodness and, and to be able to participate in advancing his kingdom and learning how to trust in him that he will provide everything for us. Does that make sense? I know some of you are going to get back to me and I know what's going to happen here. I say, tithing is written in the New Testament. We have to do it. It's not a command in the New Testament. It is not. Jesus did talk to the Pharisees about when you tithe, blah, 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 but he was talking to his contemporaries still living under the old cold covenant. But he, when he, once the new covenant came, it did not do away with the principle of tithing. It did not, okay? So sorry for those of you that are looking for a, <laughs> you got to have the, all the T's crossed, the I's dotted. That's kind of the way the Bible talks about this. So it is with, that's what it is, works with tithing. So the reality is, for some of you, for some of you that, that, desire, that are desiring to be, to be cheerful and to be regular and generous and sacrificial givers, here's the truth. 
giving 10% may actually be far, far too little. See, that's the danger of going, this, I got to give that. For some of you, for some of us, we, are, we should be giving significantly more than 10%. Because 10% is far too little. I know many people, and you probably, many of you do do, they give way beyond 10% of their income. I've heard of people that, and I know somebody that give 90% of their income. That's, that's just, that amazes me. Let me just give you a, just end this thing, wrap this up, kind of a personal thing. Here's how, here's how my wife and I do it, okay? Here's how we give. We've always determined since the day we were married that we would give at least 10% of our income to the church, okay? We vowed that we, no matter what, and there were some times when we did not have that, and groceries showed up on our doorstep, and different things happened like that, but we were determined we were going to give at least that to the church. Yet we also felt that it was very important for us to give regularly and generously to various ministries and to missionaries and to other things that were going on out there. We knew that that was very important as, as well. So we also, though, know that we strive to keep the mindset that when God does give us more, when he does financially bless us, it's probably not so that we can increase our standard of living. It's probably so we can increase our standard of what? Giving. Now, I'm not, don't look at me like I'm so altruistic, wonderful, spiritual guy. We, I struggle with the finances. Thank goodness my wife takes care of all that stuff. And she loves to give. But that's something that we find we have to wrestle. We have to keep reminding ourselves. We, we have to help. Okay, if I'm going to get a raise, what does that mean? If I'm going to get a bonus, what does that mean? What do I do with that? How do I think about that? Okay, because if you're anything like me, my instant thing goes, oh, I've always wanted to, right? And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But are we checking our heart? Are we checking where our heart is? Is that what we feel like that's okay to do? Because Jesus might be telling us, go do that. Give that away. I'll bless either one. <laughs> go for it. However, here's the thing. However God helps you, however the Lord and wherever the Lord and whatever the Lord lays on your heart to give, the point is that our giving is to be motivated by a heart that is just overflowing with gratitude for all that God has done for us in Christ. That's where it needs to come from. And for the furthering of his work in people's lives throughout the world as we give cheerfully, as we give regularly and generously and sacrificially, that's where it comes from. All right. Your heads have got it. There's got to be some stuff. You can even email me later if you don't feel good about it, telling me. But I want to do a couple questions here. I want to throw out a couple questions um, for, for you guys. First, here's the first one. And I have to kind of add to this after I say it. The first question is this. Um, is it, did I give you the first? Okay. Uh, how have you personally experienced the joy of cheerfully, reg, cheerful, regular, generous, and sacrificial giving? Now, I know this is a tricky question because the Bible says don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Not about tooting your own horn. But here's what I think is important for us to do. I think it's important as a body for us to hear from some of us that have had the opportunity to give in a way and what we experienced out of that. 
What, how did God use that experience to, to provide us with a joy or contentment or whatever it was when we were able to give? So this isn't, I know that it's, it's not a horn tooting session, but I want you to be able to feel free to sit, mostly to tell us what, what, what did you experience through that generous, cheerful giving experience? Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Woo, how yeah, cheerful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, but no. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that, I know many of you have felt that too, that you're, that's a great one, Todd, that free, all of a sudden you feel freed because I gave. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Who else? good. Yes, Jenny. There is something about that. It's kind of, it kind of tied to the freedom thing, isn't it? Yes, yes. So good. Yeah. Yeah. We're just talking about money, but there also is the, the resources, the time. I mean, where we live, time is what? Money. <laughs> so, yeah, it all, it's all wrapped. Any more on that one? That just what you've experienced in that before? Yes. Yes. Yep. I mean, I could probably turn that question around and say, how many of you can share with me the opportunity when someone gave to you or was generous to you and what you experienced out of that. I can say that one like, I can spend a half hour going on that one. Uh, on how that's just like, it's humbling, it's, 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 it's incredible, isn't it? All right, uh, next question. I didn't include this in the sermon, but I wanted you to know it, kind of get your thoughts on it. Does the statistic that Christians in America, because this is true, give on average 2% of their income surprise you? And what does that say about Christianity 
in America. Not to be a bummer here or a downer, but this is really, this is a reality. The reality is surveys around the 2% is the average is what Christians give. Um, first of all, does that surprise anybody? Some of you, yeah? Yeah, some of you, yeah. yeah. What does it say, though? What does it say about Christianity? What does it say about faith in Jesus in America? <laughs> Thank you for putting a positive spin on my downer of a question. <laughs> <laughs> So true, exactly. That's a great way to put it, Scott. Many Christians are missing out on experience the full Christian life because of the financial situation. Yeah, good. What else? What else? Does it say anything else? I said, my hope is that this would not be a, uh, in any way be, be, I hope it was convicting for some of you, but I hope that it wasn't guilt-inducing by any means. I know that's why a lot of churches these days are going away from the collection plate and they're putting it in the back and they're just saying, they're just trusting our people. If you want to give, you give. We want you to give anonymously. We want you to give, you know, so people aren't, you know, people can say, oh, look, they put a 20, I put a 10 or whatever. Um, but it all gets down to the fact is we're not supposed to feel guilty. It's, it's out of the joy of what's going on in our hearts. So, you know, we're going to go into a communion now. What a better transition. <laughs> what could there be better than all of a sudden now we get to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us that, that he visibly got in front of his disciples when he broke the bread and he said, this, this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me. Then he, he took the actual cup and he said, this is, this is the blood of my new covenant. This new covenant I'm establishing that it's not about rules and regulations. It's about freedom and joy that actually allows us to, to give even more and more grac graciously and with more joy without grudge. And he said, do this as, as often as you drink it. So I want us to remember that. Take some time. You need to do this. There'll be some people over here to pray. If you would like to pray, let me encourage you uh, to do that with somebody. Uh, but just let's take this time to remember Jesus.